Welcome to No Instructions. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And you have a big box on your side of the screen. I do. What is that big it's box? It's the what? model kit that I was working on uh, long ago before we did other stuff. Oh, this is Super before Robot Power Time? Yeah. Um, this cool? show is called... Full Metal Panic. Full Metal Panic. And I looked it up on YouTube. It's not a bad show. Hmm. I watched a few episodes. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm working on my Land Cruiser model. So this guy is... Uh, this was given to me by Rob Clark. Um, thank you, Rob. I think Rob gave me this. Well, now I can't remember. <laughs> now that I said that... Pretty sure. Maybe, this it, was from maybe it was Dale. I think, no, I think it was Rob. Anyway, thank you uh, for this. This was a gift because it was the same one that I have. And then I got to looking at it, and it's actually not exactly the same one I have. It's There's a bunch of different versions of the Land Cruiser. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this one is that they had some, some different stuff on the back of it here, where there's a, a spare tire that's supposed to be mounted. So I've actually cut out some stuff that I don't need. And then I epoxy sculpt over it, so now I have to sand that all smooth and remold that. So I'm trying to make this exactly like mine, which means I have to put a lift on it. I Mm -hmm. have to tent the windows. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to build a custom rack to go on top of it. And then get rid of that rack and build another (laughs) rack. Uh, So I'm going to try to really make this like, yeah, put the snorkel. And I've already started modeling the snorkel in Fusion. And I'm going to try to print that out on an SLA printer so I have like a little uh, accurate snorkel. Like, I found a side profile picture of the actual snorkel, which was really crazy that I was able to find a front and a side view perfectly. But, um, so modeling that, I'm going to print that out. So, I'm just beginning this process, but I think this is a a dorky, cool thing to make this just like mine. But I noticed while I was looking through this kit, uh, some weird things about this model. So one thing that's kind of cool is it can be left or right-hand drive. So it comes with two different dashboards. So I don't know if Anthony's not paying attention to swap cameras, but if uh, it comes with two different dashboards right there. So you can just pick the one that you want. That's kind of cool. Um, but then also, this is the mystery, it has a battery compartment in the bottom. Oh, that's awesome. It like has a, a battery. motor? Yeah, and a little notch that has two-wheel or four-wheel drive. Ooh. You can, like, depending on a- which... Run a pulley to it? I don't know. So I guess hmm. maybe this model kit is the base for a remote control car or something. Hmm. And then that That's makes me cool. wonder, like, where's the rest of it? Where's the drivetrain? Where are the motors? Well, How do I get that? So, like, this whole big box in the back, that's probably That's for, yeah, DC motor. Yeah. That's perfectly so, for a DC motor. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. This is by Fujimi, I think is the name of the company. Yeah, Fujimi. So if somebody knows about those, let me know. I'm not going to motorize it, but I just thought it was interesting that... It doesn't say anything. Well, I can't read Japanese, but it doesn't seem to say anything about like motorizing it. But it's obviously built into the mold. <laughs> like the like third word. Yeah, it could be awesome. Motorized. Call this number, and we'll give you the kit for free. It actually, <laughs> it actually does have all of the um, the steps. The like, don't do this. Make sure you don't glue your face to your forehead. Stuff like that That's is good. all in English. But then the actual instructions for putting the thing together or not. Anyway. Apparently there's a lot of Americans who glue their <laughs> selves to their It's heads. a problem, really. It really is. Dummies. So I may end up even these uh, rims are not like mine. So I may end up trying to model a rim. That'd be cool. Yeah. 
Maybe make some tires. Maybe print some out of something else that's bigger because these are relatively small for mine. That could be our flexible print that we're always yeah. trying to, or I'm trying to figure out how to do successfully. Yeah. Make some little wheels. And uh, Bill Duran did a video on making uh, remote control car wheels hmm. with the flexible whoop, thing. Whoop, whoop. Anyway, what's been going on? Since we spoke the other day? Yeah, uh, earlier this week. Not a whole lot. <laughs> Uh, did I, I don't remember what I spoke about. We were talking about WorkbenchCon. Uh-huh. A little bit. Uh. Did I talk about the motorcycle? I don't know. Anthony, did I talk about the motorcycle last time? I don't think so. Man, it has not been that long, and we have done a lot of stuff in between there. Yeah. And I completely forgot that we had already talked about WorkbenchCon. Well, but tell us about the motorcycle. Motorcycle. One of the episodes ago, I talked about skills that I don't have, like fixing uh, my own car. And I've always wanted to like get a, a motorcycle because I, I feel it's like the bare bones version on how to learn all that stuff. So we were driving back from WorkbenchCon, and somebody reached out to me and offered a free motorcycle. That's like it's in parts. It's in pieces. Somebody was doing a cafe racer build, which is what I've always wanted to do anyway. And I just have to go get it. And so I've been nervously and kind of feverishly like looking through eBay for parts for this motorcycle because there's not a lot of information. It's a late 80s Yamaha XS400. Um, I have been like crazy going down rabbit holes and then going, ooh, I could turn this into an e-bike. And then I go down that rabbit hole. I'm like, I get this DC motor and I got to find a place to put all the batteries. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about it. And I'm, I want to redo this motorcycle and make it super awesome, uh, but I'm not legally allowed to drive it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. Uh, I have no licenses. I just want to be able to do it. Just one of those things. I've seen people do it. It looks really cool. Uh, I don't have that far to drive, like to get from my house to here. Mm-hmm. And so when the weather's nice, just like go take the motorcycle out. So, I mean, is the first step, oh, look, there's a high and low gear spot and an on and off switch spot anyway um is the first step like getting taking the test learning how to drive on somebody else's bike or like a renting one or something or from what i've researched and they had them while i was in the military but i just i never rode a motorcycle or had any desire to do it then um you do like a motorcycle safety course and a lot of places that have the motorcycle safety course have a bunch of just standardized motorcycles and you take it on theirs uh, you get like I think I can get like a learner's permit that you can just get, and then you can't get your full license unless you have the motorcycle safety thing. Hmm. So I guess I can get a learner's license, and I already know like the parking lot in town that I'm going to go to to go do all my practice because it's, it's huge. No one's ever there, mm-hmm. so I've I've gamed this out a decent amount. And every once in a while, when I get bored, I'll peruse Facebook Marketplace to see if there's something there that is, you know, inexpensive because I don't want to spend a lot of money. Uh, I thought it was cool that the the bike that this guy is talking about has a lot of the parts. They're just not assembled. Yeah. So, it's, but I don't know if they're the parts that I want to put on it, but it's a good place to start. Yeah. And you'll learn a whole lot about the bike and how it works and stuff just by like having to go through all the parts. Right. To see them all. And I think it'll be like most of my new kind of maker related endeavors where I will do a whole bunch of research and I'll figure, like, there, I need to weld. There's, um, like, just small engine repair. I don't know if I need to run any hydraulic lines or anything for the brakes because I, I can bend hydraulic tube. I've done that before uh, with airplanes and things. But 
I will I will try to amass a whole bunch of academic knowledge and then sit on the motorcycle and I go, uh, and now what? And fall over <laughs> yeah. about five times. Well, that's kind of why I was wondering about the, uh, you know, learning and stuff ahead of time before you even get into that. Because I don't expect this to happen, but it, there is a potential for you to, like, ride it, learn how to ride it and be like, you know what? This is not really my thing. And that's fact. You know what I mean? And I think... I, that happened to me. Yeah, I and I think the, the RV mentality... Is I'm gonna get a thing. I want it to be a project that I can I can make things with. I can weld. I can make this beautiful thing that is completely functional, so that if I absolutely hate it, uh, I can turn around and, and sell it to mm. someone who knows what they're doing, and I can be proud of the work that I did. So if I never actually ride this motorcycle a day in my life, it can look really cool. <laughs> there you go. But I'm conflicted because I think riding a motorcycle is really fun and liberating and all the reasons. I've had a lot of people in my life that have ridden motorcycles. I just have never done it. Uh, I think we talked about kind of why the the dumb palm reader thing my, my mom went oh, to yeah. Yeah. that has oddly spooked me, even though I don't believe in it at all. But I've always wanted to do it. And uh, I was going somewhere with that. I have in my head what I want it to look like. And so I've been on Pinterest a lot more lately, which is... Not cool. fun, but like I, I see the value in Pinterest. <laughs> yeah. Because there's tons of different ways that people have customized the motorcycle, make it look like a scrambler or a bobber or a cafe racer and all these little niche things. And I've, I've been reading a bunch of articles and people are talking about um, components that like I don't know what that component is or what it means. And people are like, this was my favorite piece. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, mm. but cool. I'm glad you like it. And so it's, it's getting, uh, I think it's, it's exciting for me because it's it's like the wall of walnut in my shop. Like, it is anything and everything, but in its rawest form. Hmm. And so I have in my head what it should look like. I have to take stock in whatever it's going to come with and then identify what those pieces are, whether or not it gets to stay or whether or not I need to get a replacement. Right. But I don't want to spend a lot of money. Um, which is good because Cafe Racers, the whole idea is to chop it down to be really minimalistic so it, it can be fast with not a really large engine. Um, and then kind of go from there. Hmm. Somebody's at the door. Somebody's at the door. We have a visitor. We have a visitor. This is like Mr. Rogers. Who is it? It's Bob's dad. Hey. Hey, Bill. That's all right. Come on in. What you doing? What's up? You want to be on the podcast? <laughs> he said no <laughs> so I may lean on you for some motorcycle help oh uh, yeah sure I mean what little I have to give I'm, I'm happy to give it Okay. I, I did, did I ever tell you about all the motorcycle websites we used to build no so one of the things when I was running our, uh, our we had our website company where we made websites for people you remember the craze on like Discovery Channel and stuff where there were all the motorcycle builder shows, yeah, OC Chopper, right. Billy Lane, and whatever. Mm-hmm. So we ended up some we ended up somehow meeting. I don't even know how we got connected to him, honestly. But we did Billy Lane's website. And he was like one of the big guys in that area. Um, we did a website for a guy named Mitch Bergeron, who was on some of those shows too. He's out of Canada. And went to Bike Week a few times and met up with a bunch of those people. And I met Indian Larry one time. And 
you know, just st- all, all that world for a yeah. very short amount of time. It was really, really interesting. But being in their shops, especially Billy Lane's shop, and just watching them when the cameras weren't on, watching them just dig into these bikes and fabricate, you know, fenders and like big, crazy shapes of stuff. Um, because, you know, they did all different types of bikes. So they would have some cafe racer style things, but a lot of like the big, goofy, extra. You know, like the show bikes. Yeah. They were just like intentionally dynamic and stuff. Um, and also he had this, I think he was the first person to do it. I'm not really sure, but like the, the hubless motorcycle wheel. Hmm. Did you ever see those? Yeah, the one that's just a rim that it rides yeah. on like a roller behind it. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure he was the first one to do that. And to see those, he had a couple of them in his shop and they get to actually get up close to them and like he would explain how they worked and stuff. That was a really, really cool time. And at the time, I had zero experience with any sort of scooter, motorcycle, anything. So I kind of knew what he was talking about, but not mm-hmm. really, you know. But it was still really interesting to be there. Um, and the only stuff I've ever really worked on in that space was the the Vespas that I've done. And they're, I guess they're pretty much the same as far as, like, the components. But obviously, the motors are smaller. Mm-hmm. They're all two-stroke. Um you know, everything's scaled down and less powerful and stuff. But what's well, like the only restoration air quotes of any kind of car that I've ever done is I helped my friend uh, do some work on his Beetle. Hmm. And so, like, technically, yes, it's a car. Technically, a Vespa is a motorcycle, but I think it's in a different category of, yeah. Yeah. you know, repairability and restoration. Like, it's it's not really that involved. It has all the components, and they're right there. Well, the interesting thing about a Vespa versus a motorcycle as far as restoration is that um, the motorcycle is a bunch of components that you can unbolt. And, like, you could take it down to where everything is individualized for the most part. With a Vespa, uh, it's a body. The body frame is one piece. And then you have a gas tank that drops in, and then all of the the motor, the brakes, all that stuff, you know, the forks and all that bolts onto it. But the difference is there's no, like, frame. So you can't really break it hmm. down to just the frame because the body is the frame. And so when I first got into my my first Vespa, um, the floor pan where your feet sit was all rusted out. And I had zero metalworking experience at all. And that was the first time I bought a welder just to figure out how to try to fill in these little pits. With my thinking at the time was I can sandblast it, and then go back and weld in all the holes, yeah. And then flatten it out, and that just didn't work because uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and it was instead of putting down like plates to cover the holes, right? Yeah. So and then it turned out that you could actually buy replacement floor pans for those, huh. and they're they're spot welded into the center column, so you can just like grind out those spots. Mm-hmm. That plate falls out, and then you can put a new plate in. And so it took me a long time to get to that, but realizing that there was an aftermarket part that was like basically drop in to completely redo that entire section. That was way easier, but it took me a long time to get to that before I knew that that even existed. So I learned a whole lot from doing the Vespas. Um, but I just, what it, I thought it was going to be a lot of fun to ride. And then when it came down to it, I actually just didn't really enjoy riding it mm. too much. I didn't feel safe on it. Yeah, I get that. You know? I laid it down a couple of times uh, for different reasons, and that kind of, I don't know, it was just kind of done. And also, we had, um, our oldest had just been born around that time, 
as I was far more cautious about. Do I really want to go down this path of yeah. doing a Is thing? Is this a necessary like, risk? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of let it go from there. But anyway, well, that's exciting. I mean, do you think you're going to be picking the parts up soon or? I don't know. Uh, my wife is going on vacation next week. Uh, like we talked about, she's going on her gal's trip down to the Caribbean. So I can't pick up and go get it. It's in uh, sure you can. Knoxville, Tennessee. So I guess I could throw some movies on in the van and then have a trailer pulled behind the van. With the kids in it? It's got straight six. The van's good. <laughs> yeah, you I could, bet I could go all the way down to Tennessee and pick up a motorcycle and drive home and put enough movies on the TV that they would not realize what had happened or where they are <laughs> in the world. That's but yeah, I've got to figure that out. I don't know when that's going to happen. Hmm. But I want to, I mean, I'm excited about it, so I don't want to let it go and just right. ignore it. Yeah. But I want to still be very pragmatic and go like it doesn't need to happen right this second yeah it is kind of a crazy opportunity and i mean if the guy's not in a, a hurry to get it rid of it or like anything, then you don't have to hurry about it but it is it's one of those things like it feels like you don't want to let it go you know but now i'm like well where am i gonna put it like my mm. my workshop i have space but i like having space in my workshop yeah, right. uh, i don't have a lift i don't have and i don't know how much of that i actually need you've got a living room right i actually have a motorcycle lift out there for, hmm. um, there's like a jack. It's not like a lift, but you know, it would be enough to get it centered over the thing and lift it off the ground, off the wheels to work on. So it worked great for the Vespa, even though the Vespa, all the weight is in the back. It's not in the center, like a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of rig it to make that work, but you're welcome to that. But you do have do a living to find room. you a, a project <laughs> as well. We just have it out at the farm. Uh, I already have a motorcycle project and a Vespa that needs a restoration, so I don't need any more. So do I need to go on Amazon and just have a box show up so we could be on equal footing and we could have a race? <laughs> no, my stuff is not available we'll on Amazon. Ooh, we'll race to a race. We'll put a point, <laughs> like, a couple towns or whatever away. We'll put a little thing, and the first person to go get it on, on their bike. two wheels okay. wins. No. It'll be the shortest... <laughs> Like motorcycle race. It's like you you could just walk it there if yeah. you wanted to, but the first no. person to go to the other person's house oh, <laughs> on their go. motorcycle that would be reasonable enough. Wins. So it's kind of funny because like I got that that Harley that it's a Harley Hummer and it is kind of like the style bike that you're wanting to do. Uh -huh. It's low handlebars and it's a it's a smaller frame, so it has kind of a mountain bike sized frame to it I yeah mean, you, I've noticed, it frame. is a really small it is frame. it's very small but it's kind of cool because it's like a dirt track racer like mm -hmm. a little tiny bike that you would crunch over and ride around um but i got that while i was working on the vespas and started amassing pieces for it there used to be this website that sold all sorts of new old stock for that bike and so i i got a bunch of stuff i have a bunch of new parts to put on it and then i laid down the vespa one time and was just kind of done with it mm. And then I think that just transferred over to the motorcycle. I was like, well, I'm not going to do it right now. And then that was 10 years ago, <laughs> 12 years ago, something like that. Yeah. So it would still be fun to do, but I'm not motivated because I am not excited about writing it, you know? Yeah. So, and I, uh, something like that. I don't know if I should hang on to that as a potential future project or if I should just get rid of it and like let somebody just, else enjoy it. Just part ways with it. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know. Well, you kept talking about getting rid of the Vespa, and that always kind of piqued my interest because I've had this interest. I've ridden a Vespa before. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the guys I used to fly with in Belgium had one, and 
it would keep it at the hangar. And I think it was the larger engine Vespa. So, mm. I mean, like, you could get going. Oh, yeah. And on the, the airfield that we worked on, I would just drive the Vespa around. Like, if we wanted to go to the store or to the whatever that was maybe a mile or two away, I would throw on my flight helmet and <laughs> hop on the Vespa and just go. And people would whine at me. They're like, that helmet's not DOT approved. I'm like, well, I'm not in a company or in a country <laughs> that's regulated by the DOT. That's a good point. If I can fly a helicopter, I should be able to ride this tiny Vespa. That's true. Like, you have no confidence in the equipment that you just handed me if I can't ride this little thing 25 miles an hour down the road yeah. when I can defy gravity and go 200 miles an hour. <laughs> Get off my case, toilet face. I'm riding a Vespa with a flight helmet because it looks cool. Toilet face. Which, in Kentucky, there is a, like... You don't have to wear a helmet. No. Which I think is silly. It, yeah. As a fireman in high school, I responded to many things, many trafficle, trafficle, traffic collisions. <laughs> trafficle. And just going like, God, that person walked away from this. And then some people didn't walk away yeah. from it. And it seems that uh, riding a motorcycle seems like an unnecessary risk, all things compared, unless you financially have to have a, a, a mode of transportation uh, that is not a car. But then to go like, you know what, I just don't want to wear a helmet. It's yeah. my choice, which is, yes, it absolutely is your choice. But that seems really unnecessarily it, hazardous. Would, yeah, I honestly just don't know why you would choose that. Sure. I mean. I don't have a whole lot of hair to flap in the wind. Well, I was getting ready to say that. Like, most of the guys You're not I allowed see, to make fun of me not having hair. That's a personal thing. No, 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 not about you. Oh, okay. I was saying most Good. of the people, that Ooh. the men that I see riding around in this area on motorcycles don't have to worry about, maybe they just like the wind on their bald heads. I don't know. But it doesn't Maybe. seem like that's a, I just want to feel the wind in my hair because I don't have any hair. I wear a hat a lot, so I don't think it's like, I don't want to mess my hair up type thing. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense to not ride with But then if you, if there is a no helmet law, can I just make a helmet? Can I drive around a motorcycle in my war machine helmet? Yeah, you can. Hmm. Because I thought as a lawmaker, would it make more sense to go, you can either have no helmet or a DOT approved helmet. I I don't know. There's don't probably know some liability around. I'm sure the insurance your insurance has to be yeah. way higher. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how that works, but it just doesn't seem like. I don't know, I don't know why you would do that at all. You know. I don't know. Um, it seems really irresponsible, and just there's so many unknowns when you're on two wheels in traffic. Everything is trying to kill you, whether it knows it or not, and. Just to give any of those things an opportunity to hurt you. There was a, a family at church that we, I didn't know them. I don't know them, but our kids played basketball together, and Jenny kind of knew the wife. And the husband was on a motorcycle, this has been about a year, year and a half ago, and a truck came up behind him, this is here in town, came up behind him, lost control, and I think pretty much just, ran over him, Ugh. threw him off the bike into a tree, if I remember correctly. Now, I don't know if he would have survived if he had had a helmet on, but either way, <laughs> I don't know. Like, that whole situation was scary enough, even if you were as protected as you could possibly be. Yeah. But, like, why risk anything yeah. more than that? Yeah. I So did I tell you about laying down the Vespa down in traffic one time? Yeah. Okay. So that terrified me. And I was on a slow road and the car was three car lengths behind me. It wasn't close. But just the thought of there's something behind me coming at me 
you know, with intention and I'm falling down and I can't stop it. And, you know, there's like, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening and I'm not in control of any of it. That terrified me a lot. So anything that you can do to make that better? Yeah, do it. Helmets included. Knee pads, wrist guards. I don't know. That'd be kind of funny if you wore wrist guards. Well, there's a thing that um, on military bases, a lot of people rode motorcycles and a lot of people got hurt because you're young and you're dumb and you feel like you're invincible. And there were oftentimes where commanders would would try to hint at like the army needs to make motorcycles like prohibited for for soldiers. Hmm. But there were a lot of people in like really high commands that really liked riding motorcycles. Hmm. So it was this crazy conflict. And so you had to, to be able to go through the gate onto any army base. You had to have this entire list of attire. You had to have boots that were over your ankles that were usually all leather. You had to be completely covered head to, to toe. Um, I forgot what other stuff, but there's a stupid thing that the military has, which I think we should do a whole episode on stupid army things. Cause I don't, I think you guys won't believe me, but one of them is you had to be wearing a reflective belt <laughs> mm. called a PT belt. And so the army seems to magically think that you are protected from all things in the entire world. If you are wearing a PT belt, but it was like, you have to have all the have to have this protective equipment and you think, you know, helmet, gloves, boots. And then at the very end, it was like, and a PT belt. And you're like, Oh, okay. I need nothing else in life. You can walk down the street naked and you're bulletproof if you have this reflective <laughs> belt on. So I got to get one of those before I can ride. Yeah, definitely. Or I'll die. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I hope I hope you get the bike. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you're careful. I right. think I'm I, I'm not one to like I don't take my vehicles out and go crazy fast. Yeah. I've done that one time. I was in Germany and I got to rent a sports car because I didn't have anything else. And so I just went as fast as I could possibly go because on certain parts of the Autobahn, there's unlimited speed limits and there was a giant hill. So I just went crazy fast and I was really nervous the whole time. And then I was done. Hmm. And so I'm not one to like thrill seek. I know that sounds crazy, but you know, a lot of my previous jobs are dangerous and kind of atypical, but, uh, I don't want my motorcycle to be loud, which mm, sounds stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't like loud noises. I don't want to wake people up in the neighborhood. So that's one of the reasons I thought about making an e-bike. But I just want to not have to get in the Jeep and drive over here. Like, I've, I've ridden my bike a couple times, and that sucks because there's a whole bunch of hills. And I was like, well, yeah. I think a motorcycle just pretty much to commute is where I see this being really beneficial. I think with a, the the cool cafe race or whatever style that I'm thinking is not comfortable. So doing like a really long distance ride, like maybe, but I'm I'm foreseeing that I'll probably do that once and then go like my butt hurts and I don't yeah. want to do that ever again. Yeah. So I envision it just to like a little around the town kind of thing. I can't take plywood with me. So <laughs> I mean, functionally, <laughs> it's not great. Um. I don't know, but it's just always been one of those things I've wanted to do. And I think once I do it, it's going to be like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. yeah. That was neat. But the experience of building it and making yeah. this functional thing, I think, is what I'm most excited about. Yeah. And that will be fun whether you end up riding it a lot or not. For sure. Because it is a whole new set of things to figure out and stuff. So that's cool. Um, last time, did we talk about our Dungeons and Dra- ah. Dungeons and Dragons characters, your characters. I don't remember. I'm kind
right? Yeah, I think we need to. I think we need to do it again. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. you wanted to start over. Right. Okay. So while we were driving down, Bob mentioned that we should have taken that six-hour opportunity to come up with our Dungeons and Dragons characters because we've mentioned here on the podcast before that's something that we all kind of want to do. So I busted at my computer and I was reading through the like start here guide, which is very involved. And there's many choices that you need to make. And so there are so many permutations of character. And I think that's really fun for the gameplay. But for a novice, it's really overwhelming. Yeah, just to get set up to do anything. Yeah, but the guide was was pretty straightforward. Um, Anthony was an elf. And so that's your race. So you pick a race. And I thought that there were four. And then talking to Nicole, Nicole and, and Tori of When Geeks Craft while we were at... Not make her fair. What was the thing that we were just workbench gone? Can you tell we're tired? Man. <laughs> she was like, "No, there's so many more." And so it's the standard kind of like Lord of the Rings when a human, an elf, a dwarf, and a halfling. But then there's more, and I don't know what the others are. Half human orc thing, and then there's a class, the so you can choose like what your race of being does. There was a fighter, uh, a wizard bunch of other stuff so i'm trying to read all this stuff off my computer as we're driving down the road and we're coming up with these these really loose backstories but i say that we need to redo them because i think most of what we were doing was a joke uh anthony's was based off of uh dwight schrute <laughs> mine was based off of if drax from guardians of the galaxy had mated with john wick <laughs> His name was Draxwick. <laughs> but it was good. It, <laughs> it was, wasn't bad. It was good. It was, we had but, a little backstory going and yeah, stuff. I, mean, I think we we did really well with the confines. Oh, and Anthony's character was named Dwigged. It wasn't Dwight. So it was like Dwigged. the threat level, level midnight kind of character. So that he was the number two in a kingdom, and the number one was fumbly and dumb. And so Dwigged tried to overthrow uh, the, the king or the manager, some would say, of the kingdom, and then was uh, banished out. <laughs> Very, very fun to the kingdom of Staples. So as like a rough draft as as an initial offering and like a fun little thing to to pass the time in the car, I think it was good. And then Nicole, she's listened to to this show. She's listened to Making Geeks. So she kind of knows my very snarky persona that I I give out in these these venues. She was like, oh, your character has to be a bard. Like, I don't know what that means. That was not one of the things in like the beginner's guide. Mm. And she rattled off pretty much, like, how I am. And she's like, yep, that's what you need to be. Hmm. She's like, forget what you did before and do it again. <laughs> Start over. Yeah. So uh, I think it was a good rough draft. I think so we can go back and she was her. She was telling me about there's a kid's version of Dungeons & Dragons. And I don't know if it was, like, I don't know. I don't really know anything about it. But she said that it's good for, you know, kind of sub-10-year-olds but also would be good for anybody just trying to start out because there's fewer game mechanics to it and fewer like number-based things, but it's still kind of fun gameplay. And I think they even started with that one instead of starting with the original Dungeons & Dragons when they got started for the first time. And so that might be a, a thing for us to try just because it may, you know, just kind of make it easier for us to jump in without having to figure out a whole bunch of stuff. Because honestly, I, like, I don't even know when we're going to play. 
Yeah, I have no like idea. How, I don't know how we're going to find the time when we're all available. Anthony doesn't live here, so like when we're all going to be available and together and feel like playing and all that and stuff. And Dave so. has asked us to play um, X-Wing. Mm-hmm. That, like, tabletop game that involves, like, models and things that he wants to play. So, but yeah. Nicole was also saying that we can do, like, a like a digital, like, collaborative... Um, like over Skype or something? E-game, yeah. Huh. She recommended that we do it during the podcast, one of the podcasts. We just, oh, like, gosh. play a game together, and then everybody can laugh at us. Uh, that's uh, I love it when people laugh at me. It's It's <laughs> awesome. It feels real good. No, I don't, I don't think we'll do that. I have to fight my urge of being so overly sarcastic that I just want to, like, throw a wrench in all the stuff. Yeah. And she was like, no, that's the point of being a bard. That you can, you're, I'm the, sar- I guess this uh, class of person is a very sarcastic, tries to get out of things with, like, being silver-toned and things. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to start, but I don't want to... I don't want to sabotage the game with my sarcastic <laughs> nature. Even well, if that is, like, part of the gameplay, that seems like that would get annoying. Right. Yeah. No, no I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to try it and see kind of how, at, what the line is between, like, helping it go forward and making it interesting, because that's probably what that is. You know? Yeah. But Stop trying to find loopholes and all the stuff. and <laughs> Just play along. Yeah, because I remember uh, when I was at the Fusion thing last year, Adam Savage was talking about something. It might have been while we were... um, This is going to sound pretentious. It might have been while we were hanging out having coffee. He was mentioning... You're right, it did. Yeah. He was mentioning (laughs) Jamie Heineman and I guess the the Savage builds where Laura was on, because I was talking about Laura, and he was like, oh, that was so fun. He's like, to have other people in like a game-type collaborative environment that just liked the to play he says because jamie always tried to find the loophole in the like rules of a competition hmm. he's like he he never really bought in fully to the the whimsy of the game and just playing because it's kind of fun he would always try to find the way to win through the the way nobody noticed or going around the fact interesting he's like and that did not make for a fun game so I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. I, I imagine myself going that way, <laughs> lawyering my way through a Dungeons and Dragons oh, game. Yeah. Doesn't sound too fun. Well, I mean, the cool thing is I think that the – I feel like we had talked about this exact same stuff last time. We might have. Sorry, everybody, if you're listening. We already said all this. But I feel like part of the Dungeon Master's job would be to, like, kind of – I don't want to say put you in your place, but, like – Oh, yeah? You want to make it difficult? Uh, I can make it difficult, too. Like, that kind of thing. So, it'll be fun. Well, I'm here to help you grow as donor. (laughs) Well, thank you. It'll be interesting. It'll be also interesting just to see when we actually make this happen. (laughs) I think after never. After never. Sounds good. Maybe on the plane to England. (laughs) Yeah. That, That sounds good. Let's do that. Um... All right, what, what, do we have any pros and cons? Speaking of, if you're listening to this... Uh, thank pros, you. Yeah, thank you. Glad to have you. Hope you're having a good day. How you doing? Um, but Pretty also, good. just like we, we have pros and cons that people submit through the Maker Alliance. So if you're in the Maker Alliance, then you can go to the forum, which should be listed in the Discord. You can go in there and 
drop in some pros and cons. And let me tell you how a pro and con works. You give one thing, and we tell you whether we think it is a pro or a con, good or bad. You don't put two things that compare. That's not the same thing. That's different. That's that's compare and contrast. Com- <laughs> there you go. So anyway, if you want to add something to that, go to that form on Discord. And if you're not in the Maker Alliance, you can join the Maker Alliance. Yeah, by it's, it's a good idea. Going to ilikeTomaceF.com slash join and, uh, and join up. And that gets you behind the scenes stuff, gets you early viewing of project videos. Yeah, the Maker Alliance has Discord seen the video accent. that's coming out on Saturday mm-hmm. um, a while ago, so they're in the know. Yeah. And if you're not, then you don't know. That's right. It's a, it's a cool group. We got to hang out with a bunch of them at work. We did. Talk. We had we dinner. We did already So talk if about you want to have dinner that. with Bob Claggett, statistically your chances are higher if you're in the Maker Alliance. <laughs> I, yeah, right? I guess That's so. not wrong. That's not wrong. Anyway, do we have any pros and cons? We have a few. Self-driving cars. You can see them a lot we were talking. About, we were talking about motorcycles and the fun part of the the owning a motorcycle is driving the motorcycle. Okay. Same kind of goes for cars. Some people enjoy driving past the utility right. of it. How do you feel about a self-driving car? I think a self-driving car would be amazing. Yeah, I drive a car because I don't want to walk from point A to point B. Um, I don't drive my Jeep Grand Cherokee with the racing gloves and my bandana whipping through the air. Uh, it's, it's utilitarian. So if a robot can do a thing so that I can do other, like reliably enough to allow me to like completely just detach my attention, I think there it is. Mm -hmm. If it's like an assisted thing where I still have to like, if my hands need to be in proximity of the wheel, just in case the thing fails, then that still takes just as much attention as driving. Yeah. So if self-driving cars, if it's a set it and forget it, sign me up. Cruise control is kind of like that for me, what you just said. Hmm. I like cruise control. It's nice. But my foot, anytime I'm, I have it on, my foot is hovering. I'm holding it in this, like, ready position above the brake. Yeah. I may as well just have my foot on the gas. I yeah, mean, it like, hurts after a while. Yeah, it's like it's tired, whatever. So I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I do think there's definitely always going to be a need or a want for people to have the ability to take their car where they want without the assist. Yep. Because I know, like a self-driving Land Cruiser, like I'm not going to be like, okay, robot, take me through that river. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Go up that steep, in, steep embankment. Yeah, let's well, climb these rocks right here. So, so with self-driving cars, I've thought about this, and I've heard the the ethical conversation behind self-driving cars, not just the technological oh, mar- right. marvel mm-hmm. about how it could potentially put auto insurance out of business. It could put delivery services out of business, like long-haul truckers and things like that. It could absolutely affect. Um, I, I, I say this from, I would, get, I would say, a place of privilege because I'm not forced to work in one of those environments. But I think that that is an amazing technological step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we drive on the road. There's a, a 55 or, say, 75-mile-an-hour speed limit on the highway. Like, that is an arbitrary number. We've talked about speed limits before. And if everybody can agree to just go, the... And your your vehicle can operate in a mesh environment enough to know when it is near other vehicles. Like your world can be fundamentally changed because the the dumbest part, the human element, can be taken out of it. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you're 16 years old. Like now you're magically smart enough, or you're 18 in Europe, magically smart enough to drive a car now. Like that's experience that you need to gain, and you're gaining the entire time you're driving. 
And so if your kids need to go to soccer practice, not saying that you should like just completely erase your involvement in kids' activities, be like, yeah, go get in the car. And your kid, they could go take them to school. Yeah. Because you don't need to drive. I think that there are huge, huge implications. They don't need to be highway patrol anymore unless there is an actual accident. People well, with like radar guns and speed traps trying to get people like right. No, you don't. I, th- need I, that I stuff. think there is like a presumption that just because self-driving cars exist, then no accidents like insurance wouldn't be necessary or highway patrol wouldn't be necessary, and that's not true because a, a deer jumping out of the bushes in front of a self-driving car may still hit the car, right? That's it's, a fact. So yes. you still have a, a big, huge financial investment on a vehicle. You need to cover that through insurance. Uh, Not that it would go away. That It would be a far less necessary. It could be an optional thing instead of a Because well, insurance is liability. Right. And the biggest liability in a vehicle is the, the driver, I think the bigger ethical thing that I've heard around self-driving cars is, you know, you're programming this thing to make decisions on your behalf. And so when you're, it's driving down the road and it comes into a position to where it has to decide what to do given two no-win scenarios. Mm-hmm. So there's a child laying the, the in the middle of the road. Kind of yeah. yeah. Like, does it decide to save you? Uh, and kill the person outside the vehicle, not, you know, like, because it has to pick one or the other, or does it, is it able to, like, if if it kills a person to save the driver, who's responsible there? The manufacturer, the person that programmed it, the person that owns the car? So I think that's the bigger ethical thing that I've heard. I hadn't heard about the insurance side of it, but... I would venture to say that humans are not prepared to make that situation, to make that decision either. No, they're not, but they do have to make that decision in that case. And then they are, I mean, it's pretty obvious who's liable for that decision making because they made it. But then when something that's not alive is forced to make a decision, that still has to go up the chain. That responsibility has to land on somebody. And I don't know the answer to that, but that that is an interesting, like, Mm -hmm. how many different situations would that apply? How many different ways could that go wrong and who's it going to impact? And so, like, I see some of the danger in that, but it's an inevitability that this is going to become a thing for maybe not everybody, but for people. And they once one's on the road, it affects every person on the road. Right. Right? So the rules are going to have to be figured out, even if it's not, like, the norm, even if it's the exception, you still have to figure out how to deal with it. So... But I think the mixed use case is the bigger danger. What do you mean? I think that if there is a, a an autonomous vehicle that is operating in a world full of um, sporadic and irrational human, or not say irrational, that that's, I mean, all people should be able to operate a motor vehicle. But the the software is a, a an autonomous vehicle trying to operate in a in a world full of humans that have that ability to right. react and to act irrationally. And so if, say, the highway, right, I use iRobot. Like, that was a really good example. They mm-hmm. had an Audi that went, like, crazy fast because when you went on to this road, everybody could operate at that speed because the human element was taken out of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're on major highways or whatever – and if that were kicked in, the vehicle could operate much faster. Things are more efficient. When you're at a stoplight, 
<laughs> you don't need to do the crazy slinky effect or people running red lights. Like your car just slows down. Oh, and they right. all go at the same time. Yeah. Like I think the the weird middle ground, I think that we're that will happen in the near future to where there will be a bunch of autonomous cars and then a bunch of people driven cars. I think that is the real danger. And I think that's where people are going to go. See this, this stuff doesn't work because it, it caused all these accidents Yeah, and it's, you're in the fog. And so right now everybody is driving theoretically driving defensively. So they don't crash into everybody. And then once you get over that fog, all of the robots are just talking to the robots and they don't really need to operate under that weird ambiguity anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the danger blurred. It's like different rule sets between the, 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 the ice cream swirl of the automotive industry. Right. It's going to be weird. And then you throw motorcycles oh, yeah. into that situation yeah. where, you know, I mean, I guess theoretically you could have self-driving motorcycles as well. I always thought of them as the underground banditos that would have to exist in the world that revolts against the autonomous vehicles. <laughs> They're all just like a motorcycle gang. <laughs> could be. Speeding through traffic and then the, the robots get angry at them. It's like a like a motor two-wheeled Roomba. Just like yeah, like driving. Demolition Man, but just for just like everyday... <laughs> Demolition Man. I love that movie. Uh, everyday drivers on the highway. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about Demolition Man was Taco Bell. <laughs> yep. Just the fact that Taco yep. Bell was what it was in that movie was so awesome. Anyway, yeah, it, it just gets weird because no matter... Even if we'd got to a single use case, like you're talking about, if every every car was self-driving in a certain environment on the highway or something. You get to that, you're still going to have motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then after 100 years, we've got all self-driving motorcycles on that same road. It's just always going to be something. A kid's going to pull out on his bike. There's still a human element that's going to be in that situation, even if it's, you know, slower or it's smaller or it's whatever. Or then, you know, like I said, a deer runs across that highway. And all of those robots have to figure out how to deal with something that doesn't know what's going on and has a totally different rule set. I, I hit a squirrel today on the way in. I saw a dead squirrel. Was that you? That was my dead squirrel. <sighs> Actually, I don't accept responsibility for that squirrel's decision-making. <laughs> I was going straight. And the indecisiveness of that creature led to its ultimate demise. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for it. I was trying to coax it along. I'm like, you need to make a decision. It was going wishy-washy. And I'm like, all right. He darted across. I'm like, okay, the wise choice. And then he recanted that decision mm-hmm. and whoosh, ran right. He's like, bump, and I felt bad for him. I forgot my wallet. Ah. Yep. Yeah. You got to you got to decide one That's way right. or the other. They yeah, they have trouble with that for sure. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Self driving car. I mean, I you know, ethical stuff aside, and figuring all that out. I'm with you. I think it would be super cool to be able to get into something like a train, essentially, and just like go not have to pay attention, be able to actually play D&D in the car on the way to Atlanta mm-hmm. instead of driving for six hours. Um, or, you know, take advantage of that time just to, like, to actually sleep comfortably and rest well because you knew that you were safe in yep. that thing. Because even if somebody else is driving, if I sleep in a car, I still I don't rest well because there's just unknowns. Not that I can do anything about it, yeah. but, you know, it's just somebody else is in control and anytime there's a you know, a hard stop or a quick turn or something. I wake up and I'm like, oh, is it very okay? You know, well, I mean, you think about trains. I mean, the last time I heard about a train derailment and, and people were injured, it was the train operator that wasn't yeah. paying attention. Yeah. Or I, I love our human race. 
But we do a lot of stupid stuff and we don't pay attention when we should be paying attention. <laughs> that is very, very true. There's a lot of things that vie for our eyeballs. Yeah. And I think that there are things in life that this, again, the ethical decision out of the way, I care about people and their jobs and their livelihood. But I think that there is a huge, um, inefficient group of activities that humans do because, I mean, some people just love to drive, which, mm-hmm. which is great. But I think that there is a huge group of activities that they hold on to just because they don't want to be threatened with, like, losing a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, that that is honestly – that is real. But I don't know. I, I think the the amount of time it took the Wright brothers to develop a flying machine to going to the moon was, like, 66 years. Mm. That's pretty wild. Yeah. How long have we been using the same fossil fuel, the same automobile, like that same thing that we use far more frequently? Yeah. Just in the name of like, well, it just kind of works and people are used to it. Like there is a better way. Yeah. And I think we all as a human race need to get over ourselves and go like, yeah, we could all collectively make this a better way by kind of stop screwing it up. Yeah. There's just so many different ways to screw it up. That it's yep. hard to pin down to like, well, all right, everybody stop doing X. No, it's like, you guys stop doing X, and you guys stop doing Y, and you guys stop doing all of them, and you, you know. But I think no matter tough, what but I, I agree, there's a fundamental change that needs to happen with transportation in general. And electric cars, hopefully, are the thing, for, or at least the next thing, you know. But if it's better for the environment, if it's better for the infrastructure, if it's better for the the flow of traffic and people movement all together, there's still going to be people that are resistant just because it's change. Yeah. And it'll I, be I, I think really interesting time. to see. I mean, we won't be alive to see it, but it would be interesting to see what the, the norm, the transportation norm mm-hmm. is for our grandchildren when they're like adults. Oh, you have yeah. multiple generations who will come into electric cars and self-driving cars and, hoverboards and one wheels and all of these alternate things being just they've already existed that stuff has all happened within the last couple of generations so a few generations so it'll be interesting to see how that what their idea of that is coming into like well of course electric cars are a thing and like haven't they always been electric they li- i mean think know, about how many people that you know that are under the age of say 30 that know how to drive a stick. Yeah. And that I think is, is specific to the United States In Europe. A lot of people still drive stick, but that fundamental shift to younger generations just don't know how to do something Mm -hmm. that everybody grew up doing. And a certain generation could look at that like a deficiency when, I mean, is it really a deficient? They've existed this long. Is is it really that necessary or is it just some nostalgia that people are hanging on? I think that's what it is because, you know, if you look at, if none of the cars imagine, they, all the car companies decided to stop making manual transmissions next week. I think a lot of them in the states have. But then I mean, they're all going to be automatic from now on. So who cares if you don't know how to drive an, a manual if they don't exist? You know what I mean? It's that well, same idea. One day, like, if I'm being chased by a bad guy and I need to commandeer a vehicle and it has a stick, I'm not going to know how. <laughs> That's the stupid scenario that people have in their head. Like one day, you may have to find yourself in a situation. Well, we were talking about this the other day about fixing. You were talking about your motorcycle at lunch. And we were talking about being able to fix a car and how new cars you can barely work on because mm-hmm. a lot of them are 
computerized and a lot of the internals are just not things that a person could get to and have the tools to diagnose and all that stuff, which is kind of a bummer because, you know, like you can't take that knowledge of fixing a car and transfer it to fixing a lawnmower. But the thing I brought up was my lawnmower is electric. It runs on a battery. That stuff is not there for me to fix. It's just a change, right? The, the, you don't need to know the mechanics of something that's not in use anymore, and I think that'll probably continue to happen. And okay, same goes for like the inside of a computer. I'll raise you a scenario. Okay, um, you're on your your Southwest flight, and um, they come over the little loudspeaker, and they're like, "Oh, we're having mechanical issues." How many people sit up in their seat and go, "Oh, I know how to fix that"? <laughs> like yeah. you don't. Yeah. There's people whose specific job it is to fix that thing. And granted, not everybody has a Boeing 737 in their garage. And it's an empowerment thing more than, I think, a necessity in a lot of cases. But, like, I think, Jimmy, you guys were talking about that. Jimmy mentioned, like, the technological advances that make that piece of equipment, your car, your airplane, your toaster, whatever it is, so much better than it used to be is because there are a lot of people that are, sorry to say human beings that are way smarter than you that made it that way (laughs) and they made it tiny so that it could fit in your small cool iphone-esque design they made it in china so that you can afford to buy it at walmart and then you get mad because you can't fix it (laughs) yeah like yeah that's that's the beauty of this the 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 lady at home depot i heard on the other side of the wall somebody asked her about brushless motors she's like oh people don't like brushless motors and i was like what she's like people don't like them because they can't fix them I'm like, that's the dumbest argument because the thing that you would fix in a brushless motor is the brush and it's a consumable item. Yeah. So if you don't have a consumable item, then you don't need to fix it. And that on a a brushed motor, a drill, that's the only thing that you can fix. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like that's a part that they're just missing. Well, I can like change out all the rest of the stuff. No, you can take out the battery and you can take out the brushes. And And I'd say maybe, maybe replace the chuck, but I went to shop class. In school, never once did we replace brushes. I never learned how to there do that. There is not a class that all these kids aren't getting these days about yeah. fixing the small engine repair. Like, never was that covered anywhere. I the never, only reason I know how to fix brushes or replace brushes in a motor is because that particular motor had it. It was it broke because of that reason, so I had to do it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And, I, like, I would never learned how to do that. I never had a need for it. None of my tools that have brushes have ever needed them to be replaced. I'm not saying they won't, but I've never had that. And about 10 years ago, I kept hearing this term, like brushless coming up. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I went and looked at it and found out what brushes were. I'm like, huh, that's interesting that I've never had to do that. I've had to replace I would have looked it up if I did, but yeah. like it never never came up, you know? And yeah, I never the time, it. The first time I did it was on a generator, uh, on an airplane generator. Because, again, it's a brushed, uh, a generator and a motor are pretty much the same thing. Right. And my DeWalt 611 that went in my X-Carve just died one time while I was in the middle of, of a job. Now, if I had been more prepared as a savvy brushed motor owner, I should have had replacement brushes on hand. And then I could have swapped them out and kept the party going. Mm-hmm. But I went out and I bought a new one because I needed it right then. And it was going to, I could go get a new router faster and then I could wait for the mail to deliver me new brushes. So then I got brushes for like 12 bucks on Amazon. I put them in and now I have my X-Carve router and now I have a Palm router. Right. Win-win. Yeah. So it's, 
Why spend less money when you can spend more money and have another tool? But again, the <laughs> argument that technology is somehow worse off because I cannot go in and tinker with it, yeah. I think has a fundamental flaw based in pride, um, not in practicality. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think there is still like a drive and a need to be as self-sustaining and self-reliant as you can be. I completely concur. But you have to realize, if I look at this room, I am not self-reliant. There is, uh, there is HVAC. There are lights. There are all sorts of electrical equipment that I don't know how to disassemble and fix, and I'm never going to be in the situation where I have. I'm in the wild. And I'm going to die if I don't know how to undo this microphone and, you know, change out some component in the middle of it. Like, that's not the world I live in. And if you live in a world where that's the case, then you should have a different set of materials to work with. You should have a different setup. The technology should be different. You should have different training. Like, that's just not where we, mostly, as American consumers live. For better or worse. And I'm not being a proponent of anything. I just... It doesn't make sense to get bent out of shape about a lot of that stuff because when you look around, like that person that went to Home Depot complaining or maybe not complaining about brushes and brushless stuff, I guarantee you they don't know how to fix their car fully. I guarantee you they they don't know how to reprogram their security system at their house. Like there's just stuff that we don't have to know how to do. We don't live in that world. And I don't know. I mean, you can pick your battles, right? Pick the stuff that is important to you, the stuff that's actually going to make a difference where you need to learn and I, you know, wrapping it back, that's how I feel about the the underlying fundamental question about autonomous vehicles. I am not so proud to go like, no, I need to be able to do this thing. Right. You go, well, then pop your own popcorn. Like, <laughs> what hill are you going to die on? Yeah. Is it the fact that you may die? Is it just so risky? But then again, you ha- you tell me the name and tell me what the last pilot of the plane that you flew on, tell me what that person looked like. Because I know a lot about airplanes, and I can tell you those two people up in the front are not doing as much as you think that they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've seen a video from a cockpit of the, and I don't know what kind of plane it was. It was a very, very large plane where the the pilot was like kind of joking around, talking to the camera. He was like, okay, so to take off, I press this button, and then I go to sleep. (laughs) And he was like, that's it. It takes itself. I'm not, they're all not all like this. I get it. It takes itself off. It flies. It lands. Yep. And he didn't have to do anything. Now, they're there for different reasons, right? I get that, but... It's fail-safe. Yeah. But <laughs> a lot low. of the, the Blackhawk, right before I left, they had a newer, cooler, more fly-by-wire technological version of that particular helicopter. And uh, there was a hover button. And we used to ride on these pilots so much because hovering is not easy. All right, keep like, it in the same place. You're, you're balancing your feet, your hands, your brain, and all of them are doing different things. I fully acknowledge that I am saying that from a place. Uh, I have hovered one time, unofficially, but I have hovered one time, and it was not easy. <laughs> Even in a Blackhawk that has a lot of assisted controls. But there's a button, and you push the button, and it will hold a hover, and it will use gyroscopic stabilization to hold a hover. It will use GPS positioning and altimeters to be able to land. When you go to these airfields, there are frequencies that are being broadcasted into those airplanes and into those helicopters that you can do a GPS or an ILS approach, and it will take you down. And there was one, a GPS approach will take you to the ground and, bloop, and land. Yeah. 
And so the, the car situation, maybe because it's a lot more personal to people, like that is no way. That's the thing. We can't have that. Uh, yeah, you can. It would be interesting <laughs> to know how. You can. Like, I mean, we. Uh, I think we hear or assume that that sentiment is there, but it would be really interesting to take a poll of people and see how the general population mm. actually feels about that. Because it could be that most people feel the same way we do about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's always going to be people, outliers that have really strong opinions. Those are the loudest. Usually, those are the ones you hear and you think about. Maybe it is a bunch of lobbyists that are making people think that the majority of people have a dissenting opinion about autonomous cars. Oh, goodness. That, yeah, that's a whole conversation because I'm pretty hmm. sure that's the way most things happen. But, I, I believe so as well. Um, I don't know how long we've been going, but we should probably wrap it up. Okay. If Okay, last thing. Yeah. If given the option right now, would you buy uh, a, an electric autonomous vehicle? Um, if it had range. Okay. That is my big problem with electric vehicles, and I know it's just a matter of technology and time to get to the range and the charge speed oh yeah charge speed you it's like an mean? hour yeah like to to take a trip to florida for us oh, and to have to charge day. like three four times on the way down best yeah. case scenario at an hour a piece like that that's just not yeah it didn't work right? right so i think when those things are solved absolutely i rode in jocko's tesla and as soon as i got in that thing and watched him like pull it out and see how the whole thing worked and i was like i want this car I'm not right gonna, now. That, that's one of the highlights that I can foresee from our trip. Yeah. Is just riding in someone's Tesla. <laughs> but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I, I could hold up a sign on the highway and some like very proud Tesla owner be like, well, get in. Let me show yeah. you all the benefits <laughs> of this car. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And just it, all the little things that, what, yeah, well, we should talk about Teslas another time. But the, uh, the range and the charge time are the things that would still hold me in a no, but that's, it's just a matter of time before those are fixed. Yeah. Would you? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not wishing death upon the Jeep anytime soon. Yeah. But if given the opportunity, I absolutely would. Cause my commute, I mean, like I said, uh, huge long trips aside and we have the van for that. Like, yeah, I would do it in a, in a heartbeat. I like the environmental impact. I like that. I don't have to go to a gas station. Um, I'm sure people, if they, they know a whole lot, are like, it's really not that much cheaper because you're electric bill, and then there's coal factories. And blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that. Right. I love the idea that something can be better than it was, say, what, what year is it? 100 years ago. <laughs> 100 yeah. years ago, we're doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah, right. Like, to the moon, man. 66 years. We can do better than that. So... What, you were talking about the, the coal and stuff. One of the cool things about, I, I think the whole Tesla thing gets muddied a little bit. That company specifically, I know there's a lot of companies that are making electric vehicles. Not, I'm just talking about them. The thing that makes them really interesting to me is that the car is the downstream, it's the broad appeal, it's the candy. Mm-hmm. Everything upstream, like the batteries that they're building, the battery factories that they're building, the charging stations... And the freaking solar roof. Yeah. It, like, they've got it. They've got the whole chain there. But everybody talks about the cars. But if you could have a roof, I already looked into the pricing. For, this. Oh, for the tiles? Yeah. yeah. If you could have a roof that would charge, that would do all of the electricity you needed in your house and give you excess to charge your vehicles. Yeah. I mean, good grief. Yeah, man. And they have that entire chain in place. You can go on and order that roof, and they. Uh, one of the, the YouTubers, that blonde hair guy, that like chops stuff in half with his son, 
They were, oh, yeah. they were doing like their entire house and they had so many referrals that they pretty much had enough like referral tiles to do an entire another house. Wow. You should give it to me. Word. <laughs> I did look into it and it, the payoff for it, you know, it's it's several, I don't know, $40,000 or something. And so the amount of time it would take to pay for itself is pretty significant. But it's one of those things, like you were saying before, like somebody has to do that. And then that house in the future becomes more valuable because whoever buys that house after the owner dies or moves or whatever, then that thing is beginning to be off-grid. It it makes money as a home rather than cost money in that one way. And so, yeah, th- that's just a change that slowly people are going to have to make. And then in a couple of generations, it could be like, yeah, your house doesn't make yeah. power? Like, weird. You had to power the world by dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> But I know we've been talking about this for a long time. You talk about the transfer of ownership. That's one thing as a business model that Tesla, like depending on how you look at it, is either really brilliant or really, really dastardly. So the availability to have an autonomous vehicle is a is an upgrade, like a code upgrade. All cars, all the Teslas mm-hmm. are able to have it. It's a whatever couple thousand dollar bonus feature. If you transfer, if I sold you my Tesla when I had it, that doesn't transfer to you. Oh. So they have to just update your account or your code through the car and now they're just being paid twice for a feature that was mm. already innately designed in the car yeah like that's kind of messed up but kind of brilliant messed up. yeah but i guess there's no that like interesting <laughs> i didn't know that that's that's yeah. pretty wild all right yeah we've been going on this for a while all right uh where can people find you on the internet and josh underscore make stuff find all of us at i like to make stuff on all the stuff uh, and if you want to join the Maker Alliance, go to I like to make stuff.com slash join. For real. Go do that. Yeah. That's a good idea. It is. It Trust is, me. It is cool. I'm on the internet. <laughs> Trust me. I make YouTube videos. All right. Thanks for listening. Sorry if we rehashed the same stuff we talked about last time, because I think we might have for yeah, about whatever. half the show. It's but fine. If You're not, good. What do you yeah. got to do? You're just driving your car all by yourself. You got nothing else to do. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.